Hi everyone, welcome to the Contributors channel. If you want to know how to run a successful business during an era of digital transformation, stay tuned because today I have a special guest, the Chief Information Officer of $1.4 billion cloud company Nutanix, Wendy Pfeiffer. In 2021, Wendy was named by NASDAQ Top 100 Women in Technology and today she is going to help me find the answers to three very important questions. What is the cloud and why should the modern company consider moving to uh, the cloud their IT infrastructure? What are the pros and cons of moving IT infrastructure to the cloud and what are the top Top three mistakes to avoid during migration to the cloud. But before we begin, please subscribe and hit the bell below to be notified about my new videos. Otherwise, YouTube won't let you know. Wendy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've uh, looked forward to this for a little while, so thank you. Thank you, thank you. And uh, as today, six out of 10 businesses move their IT infrastructure to the cloud, and this trend is likely to continue in the coming years. Could you explain to our viewers in plain English, what is the cloud? Sure thing. You know, I often feel like in IT, we just have too few vocabulary words to describe things. In plain English, when people refer to the cloud, I think they mean the public cloud, which is infrastructure that is provided by the top three public cloud vendors, uh, Amazon, Google and Microsoft that give us access to that infrastructure via software, via code, in order to use the capacity that they have in their environments to run our workloads. And so it is essentially someone else's massive scale out capacity that we have access to via code in order to run our workloads. And because we um, are accessing this uh, infrastructure in a fractional way, we're not having to pay for the costs of, of building out that infrastructure and that capacity ourselves. So in theory, um, we can pay less for fractional consumption. And then at the same time, we're helping uh, those vendors to monetize uh, their investments in this infrastructure as well. And then I can just share sort of the origin of the of this term, which I think is also very interesting. Uh, you know, in, in IT, uh, in technology in general, you know, we'll often create uh, a logic system, an architecture for how we run things. And we create diagrams to represent that architecture. And way back at the dawn of time when, when I was just starting out and, and God was a boy and wore short pants, we would draw you know, servers and databases and network links and so on. And then when we get to that part where there was sort of a big network of you know, systems and you know, computers and there were lots of network links and so on, we would literally draw a, a symbol of a cloud around all of that and we'd say, all of these things inside this cloud that we drew are, are sort of all operating uh, underneath the same principles. They're all managed collectively and they all have connectivity to each other. And so that in short is the origin of the term is it's, it's a, you know, it's something we used to draw into our uh, architecture diagrams to say, 
there's a, there are a whole bunch of systems and computers and so on that are all part of this interconnected network and and are all able to to contact each other and all managed under the same principles and so when we say these public cloud vendors like AWS, uh, Amazon or GCP, that's that's all that means is that they've created, you know, a very large network of interconnected devices that we have access to and and that they are managing as as a whole. Wow. I think uh, right now all our viewers understand what is cloud and then can continue watching this interview. According to RightScale's annual state of the cloud report for 2019, 91% of businesses used public cloud and 72% used a private one. 69% of the companies are using a hybrid cloud solution. What is the difference between public private and hybrid cloud. Yeah, so now we're talking about cloud as an operating model. And, and the notion of cloud as an operating model is essentially that we're using software code to access resources um, within that cloud in a flexible way. So when I talk about having a public cloud, you know, this is me accessing, you know, servers and uh, network devices and storage and so on in one of those, those three big vendors, you know, AWS, GCP, and Microsoft. When I say private cloud, what I mean is either through another third-party vendor or having built this myself, what I'm doing is I'm using software to access resources in my own data center in a shared, uh, fractional, flexible way. Uh, thinking about, you know, I work for Nutanix. Nutanix is the maker of an operating system that allows those who use it to um, flexibly access system resources, server resources for either storage, compute, or networking. And then that can scale out across multiple servers. And so that's an example of an operating system that's capable of using all of the resources in a collection of, of servers and, and a network um, to run uh, workloads flexibly and we use code to interact with those. So in other words, instead of, you know, uh, using a cable to connect, you know, one server to the next server to the next server, uh, all of those devices are interconnected. And then we're um, changing up how we, we access resources and what workloads we, we um, focus those resources on interchangeably. So that's public cloud, private cloud, multi-cloud, by the way, is another uh, term in the mix here. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm accessing more than one public cloud, um, you know, to run my workloads. And then the last piece of the puzzle is hybrid cloud. And what that means is that I am using a mix of my own on-premises resources and more than one public cloud vendor's resources to run my workloads. So in the same way that I might flexibly decide to run one workload in Amazon and another workload in Google and a third workload on-premises, I now start managing the combination of all of that capacity using shared management tools, shared logic systems, shared runbooks, and most importantly, 
shared run code in the form of software. And so we start doing these software defined things, um, it's called, right? We, so we, we use software to declare what workloads we want um, these resources to be used for. And then we use that code to run those workloads and to make flexible use of capacity and, and compute and storage and network wherever it's available, usually with some algorithm that ensures that we're able to scale as we need to, but we're also paying the lowest possible cost. This is what you, Nutanix created, the software which do all this we, we did. crazy things? We, we really did. Um, and we, we did that because of this challenge that IT had, right? IT was consuming on-premises infrastructure that, that they had tuned very precisely to be as cost-effective as possible. Then they started consuming infrastructure in public clouds and you know didn't necessarily have that same ability to, to flexibly tune that infrastructure and then started operating in mixed mode. And that got complicated, especially wow. because we're trying to most effectively and efficiently use that combined pool of resources. And so this is where this, this uh, Nutanix operating system came in. It was purpose-built to allow IT to use the same principles it was using to manage in any one of these clouds across the span of those things. And I might add also, it runs on virtually everybody's hardware. So I could have a mix of, you know, Dell and Lenovo and, and HPE servers in my data center. They could all be running the same operating system. So now I don't have to do something special for HPE or special for AWS cloud or special for Lenovo. My operating instructions are written once and they apply everywhere I'm running. So now I can just, uh, you know, efficiently make use of that infrastructure. So when people say hybrid cloud, that's what they mean. It's that hybrid between my own on-premises hardware that I own and I can physically touch and that public cloud infrastructure that I don't own, but that I'm interacting with via code. Wow, that's amazing. According to accounting, today, 58% of large companies are already using cloud accounting. What are the pros and cons of moving to the cloud? One of the things you, that, that you need to do is you need to simplify operations um, in general terms and express those operations in software-defined ways before you move to public cloud. So in other words, you create an operating model that is the ideal operating model for wherever you run and your workloads. Secondly, you describe that operating model in the form of runbooks and you know logical processes in software code in a software-defined way. And then you can apply that operating model, it, this hybrid operating model, everywhere you run. There's some really good uh, literature on this topic um, and some really good white papers as well. There's a, there's a great uh, white paper by a guy named um, Jason Adair, who essentially says, you know, hey, is cloud a consumption model or is cloud an operating model? Um, and his assertion is cloud's an operating model, but it has to start then with this definition of how you want to operate and then translate that into something that's machine readable, so code. So all these buzzwords, software defined, you know, operations, infrastructure as code, DevOps, all of those have at the heart of them this notion that I may not be able to, to you know, put my hands on physical infrastructure in some third party network or cloud, or, and, or I may even be remote from my infrastructure internally, but I should be able to operate that infrastructure in the most efficient and effective and performant way wherever it operates based on the dictates of my operating model, which I must also define. Uh, Wendy, you have taken different IT executive positions at Cisco, GoPro, Yahoo, Robert Huff. And for the 
last five years you are at Nutanix. Yeah. What inspired you to choose IT career? It's not many women in <laughs> IT, right? Mostly it's like men dominate yeah. there, but you achieve so much. And how did you pick this particular career? Where did all this start? Wow. You know, I always wish I could, I was better at making things up because I should, I should have like a really cool story that answers this question. I, I think it's this. I, I have always had kind of these two sides of my brain. One side is I'm a tinkerer. I love love technology. I like playing with things and knowing, you know, the, how things work. Um, I love consumer technology. I love gaming. So, so I've got this side of, of my brain that will always be gravitating to the very latest technology and, and wanting to, to, to touch it and use it part of it. And I'm also, you know, almost borderline sort of, uh, you know, obsessive compulsive. Um, I like operations. I like order. I like math and making sure that, 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 you know, things are optimal. And so the blend of those two things, you know, technology and operations is the very definition of IT. And, and so I, I feel so grateful that there was a career and a department and an organization, you know, inside of companies that, that needs this blend of those two things. The third piece of the puzzle is, you know, providing that blended, you know, technology that's operating well in support of the business. And so that last piece of the puzzle, understanding how businesses function and having some sort of um, passion or interest for applying well-operated technology in support of that is how I got into leadership is, is I, I just, I almost couldn't leave it alone. Um, it was, it, it's, it's just a, um, an obsession of mine. Uh, you know, I was ambitious. I wanted to own things. I wanted to lead things. I wanted to, you know, realize my own vision. Um, for how things run. And I, and I wanted enough scope to do that. Even as a little kid, I had this bias that I could organize it better. I could do it better. And, you know, I just had that sort of, you know, I, I, I say this with as much humility as I can, the sort of ego driving me that like, oh, there's got to be a better way. I can I can think my way through it. And so that's kind of where it started. And that that drive was, you know, I didn't think of myself as a, as a female. I didn't think of myself as a, you know, any particular thing. I, I just was attracted to the problem and wanted to solve it. This is a great story. You, you said you don't have a story. You do have. It's a very great story. Thank you for sharing. Today, in the era of digital transformation, CIOs play a very strategic role and have a great input into the overall direction of the companies, like you just mentioned. So what important steps should IT executives take prior to the migration to the cloud? You already mentioned that they need to prepare like the business processes. What else maybe you would suggest as from your position, from your experience? I think the challenge with running in hybrid mode, running technology in hybrid mode is similar to the challenge that we have in every place that we're doing hybrid things these days. Like everything is hybrid these days, right? We've got hybrid education and hybrid work and uh, hybrid cloud. Um, and hybrid cars. And hybrid cars, right? And so, you know, so the, the challenge is the context switching, right? The challenge is, you know, how do you take that, that you know, that same car and have it seamlessly, um, you know, switch from using, you know, when the batteries, you know, all all used up switch to, to gas power or you know how do we help you know someone uh, learn online three days a week and in the classroom two days a week or etc is that context switching from mode to mode 
that's complex. And so I think going forward, if CIOs and IT professionals are going to be effective in this hybrid future, and if companies are going to make effective use of, of hybrid resources and hybrid contexts, then we have to get good at the things that are unique to hybrid. At, at a baseline, one of the big things is context switching. We have to become more efficient at that. Um, studies show that humans are least effective at context switching. We essentially become much less productive when we go from mode to mode. The second thing is we have to get good at asynchronous things. We're not going to have everything all together in one place at the same time if we operate in this mode. We're not going to have our teams all together in one place at the same time. And so there's some basic principles of, of how you improve asynchronous operations. One is, and, and this was something that everybody can do, is documentation, creating a way to describe operations that can be viewed in any place at any time and consumed and understood in the same way without having to be co-located in space and time to understand those things. That's one of the core principles behind uh, you know, uh, um, software-defined operations or behind container technologies. It essentially says you have to start with a definition of context. So when um, the person moves from mode to mode, they understand that context and then they can quickly come up to speed. The better we get at documenting, the better we get at automating, the better we get at reducing the friction of context switching, the more productive we will be in operating in hybrid mode in any of these modes we're talking about. And so, you know, you think about even those hybrid car designs, right? There was, you know, a ton of intelligence that went into that mode switching and sensing when to mode, right. creating a, a mix and a transition. You know, it's a lot like merging onto and off of, you know, highways and so on. There's a lot of rule sets that are built into that and a lot of um, intelligence and time that's been built into that. And so it's the same thing. We, we need to challenge ourselves to get good at this sport of hybrid and use principles that have been used, you know, in education and in, you know, as you mentioned, you know, car design and, right. you know, uh, all of this, this future of work research we're seeing and even the hybrid cloud research. You use that, those other principles to inform our own and our own companies going forward. Dear viewers, if you like this video, please like and share and subscribe to be notified about my new guests. Migration to the cloud is a difficult and complex process. Every mistake can cause loss of data, clients, and even legal problems. Wendy, what are the top three mistakes to avoid in during migration to the cloud? First of all, avoid monolithic things. Um, you know, you can you can migrate all the data to the cloud, or you can migrate a tiny subset of data to the cloud first. I I recommend the the, the smaller uh, chunks at a time. The second thing I'd say is you know related to this, uh, like a corollary to that, is always have a purpose for for what you're migrating. You know, you're going to spend money no matter what. You're going to spend money running on-premises. You're going to spend money running on in public cloud. There will be opportunity costs for what you migrate. So to know your purposes and know the value associated with those things and sort of do the math, play the math out if your workload continues to work the way you expect it to, to work and run the way you, it, you expect it to run. What are your costs over a year, two years, three years? Do the math. Only move those workloads uh, where the math makes some sense and, and sort of, you know, don't 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 get so enamored with the idea of cloud that you forget to, to your fundamentals of running the numbers. And then I'd say the last thing is 
always understand the people in the mix are business um, businesses who have financial interests, right? So you know we're we're all one body of technologists, and and we all are interested in in moving the state of technology forward. But none of us survives if uh, if we're spending you know money like a drunken sailor. So um, you have to always have a balance between the cool thing you could do and what you need to execute on. And so maintain that balance, run the right workloads in the right places. And if you do that and you have the ability to flex from mode to mode and you're treating cloud not as a technology, but as an operating model, then you have all the tools that you need to continue to tune how you're operating to meet business conditions. Assuming that you have those controls in place, you can never get too far off track because you're managing across the whole portfolio and you're able to make adjustments as business conditions, market conditions, technology conditions, company conditions change. Maxime Legay, a Canadian professional ice hockey goaltender, once said, scared people want comfort and certainty, so they avoid failure. People live in fully seek challenges because this is where they feel alive. What was the biggest challenge in your life? Because I believe you had a lot of competition from other folks who want to become a CIO, but you somehow managed to become so successful CIO. What was the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge was uh, the decision that I made to go to GoPro in my in my professional life, right? Um, I, I, had, uh, I was just turning 50. The opportunity opportunity came up to work at GoPro, which is an action camera maker. Um, at the time that I went there, they had a couple of thousand employees and the median age of, of the entire employee base was, I think, 29 and a half. So he, these are people who were half my age. You know, a lot of the people in that company, you know, didn't come from, you know, traditional business backgrounds, IT backgrounds, etc. And so here, here I come, you know, I'm a mom, I'm in my 50s, I, I'm, you know, I come from a traditional, you know, IT and business background. And I really wanted that challenge. I wanted to see how they operated. I wanted to understand the technology. I wanted to use the product. I was very interested in these action cameras. I learned to skateboard, which, you know, I had, had been something I had dreamed about doing my whole life and, and was inter interested in those sports. I got to travel to places that I had, had always wanted to go. And so I just um, was able to sort of in the the context of my job, do everything new and everything differently and, and, and have some adventures and be brave at a time when I was actually supposed to be, you know, from the outside, I was supposed to be more conservative and more steady and more focused. But I really wanted to keep learning and trying things and doing new things. And so it, it set me on a, a new path that was, you know, one of the scariest and coolest moments of, of my career so far. I heard many times people say, if I knew it 10 years ago, I would be a billionaire. What advice would you give to your younger self? Professionally, I would say I should have probably taken that job at Google 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it sounded like a lot of work at the time. They they were they they were like, yeah, we work 90 hour weeks and it's amazing. And I thought, I don't want to work 90 hour weeks. So you know, probably that um, should should have bought that Apple stock. You know, it's it, I don't have a ton of regrets um, because I, it's been such an adventure. 
And I've, and I've always, you know, the, the gift that we have is the ability to choose the next thing and, and, and to choose how we respond uh, to the things that, that come to us. So I'm still in the midst of that. I still have my free will. I, I still have the opportunity to explore and have adventures. And, you know, I would say personally, I, you know, if I have anything like not professionally, but personally, um, take better care of your knees. Like your knees are so important. <laughs> that, that's that's it, man. <laughs> exactly so. And, you know, I had my first kid when I was 40. You know, I had my kids late. Um, so, man, like right away, like crawling around on the floor after a toddler, you know, it's like, oh, I I wish I had taken better care of my knees. So, and here, and I'm many years on from that now. So, uh, you know, uh, weightlifting helps though. Weightlifting and, and healthy, healthy diet. So. That's definitely, sport is always helping. Thank you, Wendy, for an amazing interview. I believe our listeners enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot from your experience. And if you have announcement, this is the time to make it. The stage is yours. I just want to say, you know, reach out to the to the people in the vendor ecosystem who can who can help you look for vendors who have a commitment to be to open apis to uh, open operating systems look to vendors who ensure that uh, they integrate with others because the future is this mixed ecosystem the future is diverse whether it be with talent or whether it be with technology and so look to those vendors um, and look to those partners in life and professionally who have an openness and a commitment to diversity if you do that you will always have the capacity, the capability, access to resources to run your ecosystem effectively. This is a very good advice for people, yeah, to find the right partner for this transition, for this transformation. Thanks so much for this advice. If you like this interview and found it helpful, hit thumb up, subscribe, and hit the bell below to be notified about my new videos. Stay healthy, stay wealthy, stay tuned.